Thank you everyone, good afternoon and welcome to the Zoom, to the video, to the recording of today's Pirkei Avot. We continue with a Mishnah that we left off with last week. It's Mishnah number 16. It's Tezayin in Perik Aleph of Pirkei Avot. You know, Pirkei Avot is just a treasure that keeps on giving. Last week we learnt Rabban Shimon, uh, Rabban Gamliel Hazokain. We're going to talk about Rav Shimon today as well. Rabban Gamliel Hazokain, this incredible rabbi who presided over the Sanhedrin in that very difficult period of time before the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash, and we're going to be talking about his son as well um, today in the next Mishnah. But let's continue. Last week we spoke about Asei Lecharav, but we're going to continue something with something else. Vistalek Min Hasofek continues the Mishnah. One of the most difficult things for somebody who's asked a question, one of the most difficult things to do is to actually say definitively, this is what you should do and don't do anything else. It's to the exclusion of everything else. Be definitive and decisive as a leader. As somebody who upholds the Torah, you must be definitive and decisive. In order to do that, maybe as we said last week, you need to make sure that you are surrounded by experts. On Shabbos, when I was, I was uh, expounding this Mishnah, you know, we have a Mincha Mariv outdoors on uh, Matzoi Shabbos, or Shabbos afternoon, Matzoi Shabbos here at the Shul at uh, Beverly Hills Synagogue. And in between Mincha Mariv, I speak a little bit about Pirkei uh, Avot. We're still in that period of time between Pesach and Rosh Hashanah. We're now, I think, finally in the um, fourth cycle of Pirkei Avot. This, we say it four times between Pesach, Motzei Pesach and Rosh Hashanah. And I, you know, I uh, described to them the little shir that I gave here um, to you guys. Uh, and in this uh, shir that I gave between Mincha and Mariv on, on the last Shabbos, on Parshas uh, Ekev. And I just want to tell you what I told them. It's a story about my uncle. My uncle is a rabbi in Bnei Brak, And when he was a student in Ponovich, he used to learn together with Rav Shach, who's the Rosh Hashiva of Ponovich, who died over the age of 100, uh, something like 15, 20 years ago. An incredible personality. Somebody who led Torah Jury for decades. But for many decades prior, to leading Torah Jury. He was a Rosh Hashiva and a Magad Shir at Ponovich Yeshiva. And it was only because the previous generation of rabbinic leadership had passed away that he suddenly was thrust into a position of ultimate leadership as head of the Mu'etzet Gedolei HaTorah of the Aguda in Israel. And he became this very, very prominent rabbinic figure to the extent that people from all over the world would seek his advice, something that had never happened to him before. He was already about 70 years old. And previously, all he'd ever done was given a shear to Bachrim in Ponovich Yeshiva. But suddenly, he was being asked very, very difficult and complex questions with regard to halachic matters, hashkafic matters, matters pertaining to people's lives of the most intimate and important and groundbreaking nature and he felt inadequate to the task and he said you know I, I did get um, Semicha from Rabbi Issa Zalman Meltzer many many years ago 
he was married to Rabbi Zalman Meltzer's niece, uh, which made him, of course, a cousin of Rabbi Aaron Kotler and uh, related to many of the famous rabbinic families of the yeshiva world. But nevertheless, he felt not up to the task of answering the many halachic difficulties that had been posed to him as a result of his having been thrust into this position of um, primary leadership. And therefore he gathered around himself a chabura, a group of uh, Torah students uh, who could learn together with him whenever he was asked whenever a question was posed to him that required a halachic decision so that they could help him go through the halachic matters in relation to this. In other words, although he knew he was a wise man, although he knew he was a Torah scholar, although he knew that many of these questions maybe didn't have halachic ramifications or the people asking them weren't particularly interested necessarily in a halachic solution, he felt that he wouldn't be doing uh, what was honest, and uh, he wouldn't be acting with integrity if he didn't answer the questions based on a halachic foundation. So if in the event he decided that a halachic solution wasn't necessarily the correct solution, then that was something, of course, he could pose to the people who had asked him the question. But he felt he needed to know the halachic um, uh, the ramifications halachically of any question that was being posed to him. And as a result, he studied with my uncle. Now, my uncle became, as a result of this, um, which was unusual in the yeshiva world, this um, dip into the halachic world, he became a great um, halachic expert and is now one of the poiskim, one of the rabbis, the go-to rabbis in Bnei Brak, when people have a halachic she'ela, when they have a question um, which has halachic, halachic ramifications. But what I, uh, what the powerful lesson that one can take from this is, even in a situation where you are at the top of the pyramid, you are Rabbi Shach, you are Menachem Man Shach, you are the Rosh Hashiva of Ponovich, the head of the Metzes Gedele Torah, you are the one, people are lining up outside your door to ask you questions, make sure that you have somebody uh, with whom you can discuss these matters, and then you can be a mistalek min hasofek. You can be somebody who has no doubt as to what the solution is to this particular problem, this particular issue that you are facing, and that is facing the people who are, who are uh, across the table from you. Because you know what the solution is. You can act with uh, decisiveness in this matter. It is so important to be decisive. I have, um, on many occasions, been in a situation where I needed to ask a question of others and I needed a decision. And had I lifted up the phone to somebody and that person at the other end of the phone would have said to me, well, you could do this or you could do that. To be perfectly honest, that's not a helpful solution. I don't want to know three or four alternatives or uh, different ways that I could deal with a particular situation. I want to know, what should I do? What is the best solution for this particular problem? I need guidance, I need direction. I want somebody to be mistalek minhasofik. I want to remove any doubt. Of course, there are many different variables. Life is full of variables. 
Should I get up now or should I get up in 10 minutes? When I get up in 10 minutes, should I put on this shirt? Should I put on that shirt? Should I go to this minion? Should I go to that minion? Should I learn this Mishnah? Should I learn that Mishnah? Should I make this phone call? Should I make that phone call? There's so many different decisions to make in life. But don't be someone who is indecisive. You must be someone who is mystalic min Don't live in a state of grey area. Don't live in a state of sophic. Your status should always be one right. Now I've got to make a decision. But the key thing to remember is, once you make a decision, you've got to live by that decision. And then if that decision turns out to be, make a, to be a mistake, you've got to live with that mistake. But you've got to say to people, if they challenge you about a decision you made, is, listen, I needed to make a decision. Yes, I made the wrong decision. I will learn from that mistake. However, in this particular situation, I needed to make a decision. Because indecision wouldn't have been helpful. Of course I could have made a decision in another direction. But I had to make a decision one way or another. And the decision I've made is the decision I have made. I'm mistalik minasofik. Yes, I say lechorav. Make sure you consult with experts. And ultimately, that you know the best way forward one way or another. And all the different variables, you've, you've gone through them and you are aware of them. But ultimately, you need to make a decision one way or another as to where you are going. And continues Rabban Gamliel, and this is very curious but fascinating. He says, He makes a reference to Maser. Do you know what Maser is? Tithing. Now, we don't do a lot of tithing today. Because unless you live in Eretz Yisrael and you are somebody who grows produce... Or you're somebody who's very makbid and you don't believe that those who have grown produce in Eretz Yisrael have taken proper tithes. We're not used to this concept of tithing. You know, you go to uh, a grocer's, a supermarket, you buy your fruit, you buy your vegetables. You're not taking maser from them, right? I'm not aware of people who are taking maser. Because we don't have to here in the United States, we're not taking maser from anything. In Eretz Yisrael, they have to take maser. People do know and they are somewhat more proficient and knowledgeable about taking maser. But even then, how knowledgeable are they and how important and how essential, how um, uh, um, crucial is it for you to be an expert on maser? But if you are a farmer, somebody who's involved in agrarian, agricultural activities in Eretz Yisrael, you have to know how to take maser. What is maser? Maser is a tenth. That's where the word comes from. Eser. Eser means ten. Maser is a tenth of your produce that you have to give in various directions. I'm not going to go into those details now, but you have to give maser. Now, if you give maser, how do you work out maser? Very easy. Let's, let's talk about oranges. Jaffa oranges, okay? You're, you have a Jaffa orange orchard in Eretz Yisrael, and you're going to pick all the oranges off the orange trees in the orange grove, okay? So now, you pick 10 oranges. You don't have to be a great mathematician, by the way, for this one. How many oranges out of 10 do you have to give for Maser? One, right? So you count nine oranges, and the 10th one you put in the box, which has a big sign on the side that says Maser. You pick 20. How many oranges you got? You're still keeping up with me here? You've got two oranges that you're going to give to Maser. 30 oranges. Three oranges become 100 oranges. A thousand, it's, it's very easy to work out. Now, what happens if you've got such a big orange grove or you've got a vineyard and there's a lot of grapes and you're not quite sure how many are 
to be given to Masa because it, it's just so labor intensive that you need to really be on top of it to make sure that you're giving the exact and the right amount. What do you do? You make an estimation. You could do it by weight. You could do it in any way you want. You make an estimation as to how much maser you need to give from a particular um, harvest that you're taking from your orchard or from your vineyard, etc. That is maser that you need to take, and it's very, very important, says, um, says Rabban Gamliel, the altar bel aser omodos. Don't be busy with making estimations. You should be exact. You shouldn't be giving too much and you shouldn't be giving too little. This is part of the idea that you shouldn't be somebody who's living in a, a situation where there is a lack of clarity. Clarity is extremely important. And you may not want to be a bookkeeper or a bean counter, but it's extremely important to have clarity. By the way, those who don't have clarity tend to err on the side that benefits themselves most. Have you ever noticed that? that if somebody doesn't know exactly how much change to give you, they're probably going to give you less because that means that they can keep more money. And if you're somebody who separates maser from the fruit, then the likelihood is that you're going to separate the maser in such a way that you're going to be left with more fruit than less. That's not the way to, to do maser. On the other hand, you shouldn't overestimate either. That which is yours is yours. My father always used to say, that if you're a proper Yeki, you know, I come from Yeki stock, you know, we're German, the Dunner family is a German family. Somebody who comes on time doesn't come late, but also doesn't come early. It's important. If davening starts at 7 o'clock, you don't come at 6.59 and you don't come at 7.01 because time is precious. Whether that time is before or after the appointed time, Time is precious. Everything is precious. And if you have an orange that belongs to you, don't give it to Maser. Hashem wants you to have it. You shouldn't work in a status of lack of clarity. There shouldn't be indecision. There shouldn't be gray area. You must be a mistalek min hasofek. You shouldn't work with estimations. There should be certainty in your life. You should know exactly where it is that you're going, what you're doing, when you're doing it, and how you're doing it. That is an essential component of somebody who understands the importance of everything that God has given them. Whether it's time or whether it's any other kind of resource, you must make sure that you have great clarity as to what you're doing, it, doing how you're doing it, and what you're doing it with. With that, we move on to the next Mishnah. And the Mishnah says, Shimon Benoi Omer. Who was Shimon Benoi? Shimon, Rab Shimon, Rabban Shimon Ben Gamliel, was the son of Rabban Gamliel Hazoke. And he was the head of the Sanhedrin. And in fact, he is known because uh, it's clear from us through tradition that he was one of the Asora Haruge Malchus. Who were the Asora Haruge Malchus? They were the ten. Uh, Tanaim, the ten rabbis of the Talmudic period who were murdered by the Romans as part of the period of destruction which uh, occurred first of all when the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed in the year 70 and then 65 years later in the period of uh, Bar Kokhba. Rabban Shimon bin Gamliel was the head of the Sanhedrin. He took over from his father and when his father died 
in around the year 58 or 60 of the Common Era, Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel took over and he was murdered by the Romans when they, um, uh, they took over Jerusalem, when they uh, besieged Jerusalem and destroyed the Beis Hamikdash. He was one of the Asora Haruge Malchus, he was one of the ten martyrs that were killed by the Romans during that period. He was the child of Rabban Gamliel and this is what he reflects on in his comment and in his statement in Pirkei Avot. We're now a Mishnah Yudzain, the 17th Mishnah of Pirkei Avot, of Perik Aleph and Pirkei Avot. Shimon Benoi Omer. What did Rabban Gamliel's son Shimon say? Kol yomai godalti bein hachachomim. All of my life I grew up at, uh, um, in the company of great scholars. I never found anything better that is uh, good for my body than silence. Oh, an incredible admission. You might think that very great scholars and wise people have so much to say because they're so bright and so brilliant. Whatever they say, whatever comes of their mouth is fantastic. And therefore, we'd like to press the button on in the morning and press the button off before they go to sleep. And they shouldn't stop talking the whole day because whatever comes out of their mouth must be brilliant. Says Rabbi, Rabbi Shimon Benoi Shal Rabban Gamliel, he says as follows. The greatest lesson I learned from the scholars with whom I grew up I grew up in the home of Rabban Gamliel Hazokin, and one must assume that he knew all the other great rabbis of the era, including Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai and others. He grew up surrounded by members of the great Sanhedrin, the last great Sanhedrin of the period before the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash of the Second Temple. And he says, the greatest lesson I learned from all of them is this. That when you have nothing to say, don't say anything. It is best to remain quiet if you've got nothing to say. And even if you have something to say, wait for the opportune moment to say it. You don't necessarily need to have your voice heard in order for people to know that you're there and that you have something to say. It's only if there's something worth saying that you should say it. Articulation and communication is only worthwhile if what you are saying is worth saying. The greatest lesson that I learned growing up in the company of great scholars is the Chochmah of Shasika, of silence. Or as we say in English, silence is golden. Ultimately, what you don't say something has more, carries more weight than what you do say. You know, you're sometimes confronted with a situation and people are expecting a verbal reaction from you and you say nothing. Sometimes, and very often indeed, it is better to say nothing and the fact that you have said nothing says more than anything that you might have said. Sometimes, for example, your children do something wrong. I know it's hard to believe. Now, and we're not talking about any of our children. We're talking about other people's children. But, of course, Sometimes children do something wrong. What is the best reaction? So automatically you want to shout at them, you want to scold them, you want to tell them off. Sometimes the best reaction when your child does something wrong is not to say what's on your mind. 
You give them a look and you say nothing. And that says much, much more than anything that you were going to say had you said something. Sometimes the greatest chokhmah is saying nothing. He says it's something even more than that. It's actually good for your body. You know that animals can't speak. Animals live out their lives. They never speak. They can't. They're never given the gift of speech. I've written about this before. It's interesting that many experiments have been carried out on mammals in particular, but we know that insects also communicate about their uh, means of communication, whether or not there is intelligent communication between animals, mammals in particular. But the bottom line is, besides for Bilom's donkey, I've never heard of an animal speaking except in Walt Disney cartoons. And yet they live their lives out. It's amazing, isn't it? Animals are born, they live their lives, they die, they never say anything, nothing happened to them. Nothing went wrong in their lives because they didn't speak. Nothing went right in their lives. Nothing. Life goes on. We are animals. That's what the Mepharshim say about this Mishnah. We're animals. And we think that because we were given the gift of speech, that it is incumbent upon us to say whatever it is that comes to our minds. We've got to talk and talk and talk. You didn't speak. You need to speak some more. Let's speak some more. Let's say something else. I didn't speak for three minutes. Oh my gosh. People are going to think I've died. What are you talking about? There's nothing wrong with not speaking. There's nothing wrong with not saying anything. Make sure that you choose your words carefully. Make sure that what you say is worthwhile saying, is going to make the type of impact that it needs to make. It's going to have the type of effect that it needs to have so that the world is enhanced by your gift of speech. The fact that you can speak is a gift that God gave to you more than any other animal on the planet. How are you using that gift of speech? Are you using it constructively? Are you using it usefully? Is it enhancing the world around you? Or are you burdening other people's ears with the nonsense that you wish to articulate, that you wish to um, pile up onto the world because you feel like you want to say something? says Reb Shimon Benoisha Rebon Gamliel. I grew up amongst great scholars, the greatest. That's what he's telling us, the lesson from history. I grew up among the greatest scholars that have ever existed. In the time of the Talmud, the greatest Sanhedrin, and the greatest lesson I learned from them, silence sometimes is the greatest and most important thing that we can value of all the things that we have the power over. He continues. And you need to know something else. We can talk and talk and talk about matters of great importance. You know, I sometimes say to people, okay, after this long discussion, we've solved all the problems of the world today. Tomorrow it all starts again. Talk is not the most important thing. Midrash means talking and learning, discussing learning. That's not the most important thing. Do you know what the most important thing is? Says Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, Elohamase, action. Unless talk leads to action, the talk is valueless and worthless. Unless you are a person who is a person of action, a person of maaseh, of doing stuff, 
you are proactive in the world in making sure that things happen that are positive for the world, all the talk in the world has no value. Talk only has value if it precedes action. Talk is only important if it is the foundation to activity. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of hot air. Says, and this is one of the great rabbis, one of the greatest rabbis of the Talmud. Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, one of the Asara Haruge Malchus. He gave his life for his Judaism, for his Jewish identity. The Romans murdered him. And yet he said, it is not the talk, it's not all the learning that I did that had value in and of itself. The only value it had was because it resulted in ma'aseh, it resulted in action, it resulted in me doing things, it resulted in the fact that things happened in the Jewish world. That is the greatest value of all. Ultimately, talk is cheap. Action is what counts. We'll leave it here for today. Thank you so much.